Hello and welcome to Tuesdays at APA Chicago, our monthly after-hours lecture series held at APA's Burnham Conference Center. My name is David Morley. I'm a senior research associate at APA and host of Tuesdays at APA Chicago. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. And selected past programs are also available as podcasts, and you can see the APA website for additional details. Tonight we have with us Lindsay Bailey. Lindsay is a senior planner at the Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning. Before joining CMAP, Lindsay worked for the Federal Highway Administration promoting GIS and advanced spatial technologies to state DOTs. Prior to this, she received a master's degree in GIS at the University of Redlands, California, and spent two years as a Peace Corps volunteer in a municipal planning office in Guatemala. As one of the largest single land uses in our municipal footprints, parking deserves our attention. Besides encouraging auto use, having an excessive supply of parking influences the character, form, function, and flow of our communities. Lindsay is here tonight to discuss parking management strategies and to present the findings from two very different projects, downtown suburban Hinsdale, Illinois, and the Chicago neighborhood of Wicker Park, Bucktown. Please join me in welcoming Lindsay Bailey. Great. Thank you all for coming out tonight, and um, uh, thank you for having me here. So in the GoTo 2040 Long Range Comprehensive Plan, one of our four chapters is livable communities. And while we don't have a set definition of what livability is, I think that having a great place to walk is at the heart of a livable community. But unfortunately, a lot of our communities are zoning their way towards a scenario more like this, and it has everything to do with parking requirements. So tonight I'm going to talk to you about the report. There were copies in the back. There's still a couple back there called Parking Strategies to Support Livable Communities. And this is a guide to help municipalities look at parking reform. And also I'm going to talk about how CMAP is working through our local technical assistance program with communities to improve parking management. Parking is very important. It, excessive parking wastes land. It wastes money. And when you have too much parking, it keeps buildings widely spaced apart, making walking and biking unpleasant and unsafe. It makes housing more expensive because the cost of parking is built into the cost of housing, regardless of demand. And it also produces congestion when it encourages people to drive. But at the same time, having parking is important to support the local businesses so that their customers can come and shop. And so we're looking at finding the right balance between supply and demand, but thinking more like an economist would. This is a community I like to use as an example. They, um, it's a northwest suburb off of Metroline, and this community wants the village to provide more parking. That yellow circle has a quarter mile radius, which most people consider to be a reasonably walk reasonable walking distance. And these pink areas are surface parking lots. So all of this parking is not managed. It's free, with the exception of some metro parking. Um, so even with over 30% of their downtown turned into a parking lot, they still believe that they need more parking. Uh, the author of the book, Made for Walking, Density in Urban, Urban Neighborhood Form, Julie Campoli said, 
If you ever want to understand why so many North American cities have such low density, sit in on a development review meeting and keep a tally of the total number of minutes devoted to parking. And I said earlier in my description that we, that parking deserves more of our attention. We are spending a lot of time talking about it, but not necessarily studying it. So as a result of all these development review meetings over the last several decades, we have a lot of communities with lower density and increased parking, but a lot of communities are finding that building garages and more parking lots doesn't necessarily solve the problem of having parking availability in front of your businesses. So we have a handful of communities that are looking at ways to manage their supply. Like I said before, our goal is livable communities. Our suburban downtowns simply cannot compete with the kind of parking you'd find at a typical mall. This is downtown Naperville at the same scale. That parking lot is bigger than their whole downtown. This is downtown Oak Park. So we like to say that rather than competing with the free parking you'd find at a mall, our suburban downtowns and neighborhood communities need to compete on their own terms, offering high quality, walkable, diverse places with excellent parking management and improved mobility and access. So two years ago, we finished this report and or published it. Um, and it is developed as a guide for communities to get a better handle on parking management and to understand how parking affects the community. It's organized as a step-by-step -step guide. And the steps we've laid out are first to understand the current conditions and then to engage stakeholders through education and outreach, then identify the appropriate strategies to the specific community needs, because each community is a little bit different, implement the strategies, and then monitor them and make improvements. So the paper describes over a dozen strategies to manage parking. They're not all about meters. And some of these include reducing or eliminating parking minimums, employer incentives, the shared centralized parking, improved biking and walking, and unbundling from housing costs, narrowed streets with back-end angled parking. And throughout the paper, I try to talk about how, or examples of local communities that have implemented these strategies. So with the conventional development, you have your retail, your schools, workplace, parks, and each of these areas has their own uh, parking associated with it. So on a typical morning, a parent might drive, drop their kids off at school, then go to work, and then after work, pick up the kids at school, maybe drop them off at the park while they go run and do some shopping, go back, pick them up, and everybody heads home. And all of this movement along the arterials creates a number of conflict points and a whole lot of turning movements. So if we were to develop around a centralized shared parking or a mixed-use park once district, these same parents who are still driving in from somewhere else can go to the parking lot, and then kids and parent can walk to their final destination. The kid can walk across the street to the park while the parent does the shopping, and everybody can meet back at the, par at the car and drive home. So this simple reconfiguration of parking and street orientation results in only two conflict points, half the amount of parking, half the land area, one-fourth the arterial trips, one-sixth the arterial turning movements, 
and one-fourth of the vehicle miles traveled. So that's just an example of how one strategy can reduce parking demand. But a lot of times, managing parking doesn't quite get there, or using time limits, um, and you have to go towards pricing. I think that if there's one single thing that everyone in this country can agree upon, it's that we don't like to pay for parking. Of course, we don't like to pay for anything we don't have to. And when you're a driver, free parking is great. But if you think about it from the perspective of an economist, free parking is wasteful because everything actually does cost money. And I would say that as public agencies, we haven't done a great job explaining this fact. Um, so we always recommend that the first priority, that if you implement parking pricing and meters, it should not be seen as a way to generate revenue. The idea is you have parking congestion and you want to create parking availability. And in order to convince municipalities, you have to explain to them that the municipality is going to make more money from a thriving commercial district than it ever will from parking meters. So in order to do that, you want to set the lowest price that will create that turnover and parking availability so that those drivers who are willing to pay to find a spot quickly will park in close, and other people will park further and walk. I'm one of those people that will park further and walk because I don't want to pay. Um, so when we also say that as much as you tell people that you're not looking to generate revenue, most people won't believe you. So we borrowed this idea from Don Shoup of returning the revenues back to the streets where it's collected. Um, you can give residents and businesses a say. You could create a menu of improvements that they could vote upon of how you would spend meter revenue, whether that's street improvements, free public Wi-Fi, or, um, I don't know, building facade cleaning, sidewalk cleaning all sorts of different things that will make your downtown an even better place to walk. But a lot of times, without understanding the complexities of parking, people, and the role in the transportation system, people will say, just build more parking. That will solve our problem. But the costs of building parking quickly add up. It's about four to $10,000 per space in a surface lot, not including land costs, um, and not including the cost of taking it out of the productive land. Uh, for a parking structure, we estimate it's about twenty to $35,000 per space in an above-ground structure, Forty to 70000 per space in an automated garage, that's like the robotic stacked parking, and forty to up to 100000 per space in an underground structure. And that, of course, depends on the complexity of your water table and how fancy you're getting. I've heard of an underground parking garage in Japan where each space cost over $400,000. So it's a lot of money. Um, this chart, we collected data on municipal parking garages throughout the Chicago region, looking at when they were built, how much it cost, not including the land area, and calculated the cost per space. And that's the blue bars shown here. And then looked at the cost per space added. So if you could did a surface lot in the footprint of the building, and then you, what you add on top of that with the garage would be the space added. Um, so in the last few years, it's generally around $30,000 per space. Um, so while I've said that having a shared centralized garage <coughs> is definitely better than turning your entire downtown into a parking lot, 
we think there are a lot of strategies that can be implemented for a much lower cost than millions of dollars in a garage. So before you go and invest in the garage, you try out some of these management strategies. So as we said, we have been working through our local technical assistance program with downtown Hinsdale and Wicker Park, Bucktown. We also have started a parking study in Berwyn's depot district, um, but that just got started, so I don't have any findings from that yet. So Hinsdale has a lovely historic downtown with a solid building facade on their main streets. And they had a village board that refused to build a parking garage when everybody else was doing it. And instead, they kept their downtown meters. And um, they have no minimum parking requirements in the downtown. And I'd say that's a primary reason why they still have a solid building facade. Um, but the parking is pretty unbalanced. And in the core during the 9 to 5, it's very hard to find a parking spot. So we went out and we counted parked cars at different times of day. Like I said, the first step is to understand what's going on on the ground. So this is the parking occupancy at 8 AM. And those two blue lots are their commuter lots, which are full by 9. And the red lines are where it's 90 to 100% occupied or more. Blue is 80 to 90, so that's sort of our target. Green is 60 to 80. And pale yellow, which doesn't really show up here, is 0 to 60% occupied. Uh, by 10 AM, pretty much all of the spaces in the core are full. There is, at noon, some shifting of cars, but mostly still full in the core. And then at 2 PM, we also get more shifting up north towards the library. But you can see the commuter lot's still full. Um, and by 6 PM, it's down to a healthy occupancy in the core and plenty of parking availability in the main lots, the public lots. So we also interviewed people to hear what their perceptions of parking are in the downtown and who is exactly to blame. And so that's pretty much everyone is to blame. Uh, and basically, it's sort of like the saying, you're not stuck in traffic, you are traffic. Everyone is contributing to the problem of the parking in the downtown. Um, so when we look at the three maps where they're most congested, we were able to analyze some of the data. And we found this area where there are about 80 employee parking spaces that are hardly ever used. Um, and we realized that it actually costs more to buy the employee permit than it costs to feed the meter all day. And so if on occasion you don't drive, you get a ride, or you can take transit, then you'd save money if you were to be feeding the meter. Um, a lot of people were saying, you just need to get rid of the meters. But these areas that we have highlighted here, the lots and the streets, are, are the metered spaces. So we can say that meters aren't driving people away at this point. So that's not the problem. The only people that aren't staying in the on-street spaces are those who can't sit there and keep putting quarters in the meters. Um, this is the current map that you would find on the Hinsdale website, and I have some problems with it. Um, this lot is not in that location. It is a block west and about a third of the size. These two permit areas exist but are not shown on the map. This lot is much smaller than it appears on the map. And these logos at the top look more like this map brought to you by these sponsors. But 
They're intended to show the actual location of the municipal building, the post office, and the police department. <laughs> and uh, if all of those spots, the metered spots that they show in the map, are full, it doesn't really give people any other options of where they could park. So, um, oops. So we want to look at including, making a map that has the streets that have free two-hour parking on the map so that people know that that's an option. Okay, so as I said, from our initial findings, we have poor user information, confusing signage. The time limits are annoying to shoppers, and they are not deterring employees from parking in the main spots. They've figured out schedules even when the police department switches it up. They're friendly with some of the officers, not all of them, and <laughs> they even give him the quarters. Um, like I said, it is cheaper to feed the meter if you don't work strictly in the 9 to 5. So maybe you're, you work on a Saturday instead of a Monday. Um, so then it would be cheaper to feed the meters because on the weekends you can park in the employee parking lots or the municipal lots for free. And also they have outdated underpriced parking meters. So we developed a number of recommendations based on these five goals. The first goal being to improve the parking experience for visitors and shoppers, improve the parking options for downtown employees, and encourage parking outside of the core, plan for the long-term management and provision of parking resources, uh, promote active transportation for residents and employees, and improve the management of commuter parking lots. So some of the specific recommendations included developing a series of new maps in the website. They have a metered lot that we recommend converting to a gate-controlled access lot with uh, progressive pricing so that you pay more the longer you stay. But that ends up being something that the, the women going to get their hair done at the salon like because sometimes your hair appointment will take three hours, and right now the limit is two hours, so that would allow them to pay just a little bit more to park there, but it would prevent the employees from leaving their cars all day. Um, we're also looking at updating the meters and creating a parking task force that would be in charge of um, managing the meter prices and to get that balance of about 85% occupied, and also managing revenues and how to reinvest it in the downtown. We also recommended looking into what's called virtual permits, and these permits would give the permit holder a discount if they didn't drive every day. Because right now, as it stands, if you have a monthly parking pass, you might as well drive. You've already paid for that month. But if you were able to get a discount, maybe it's nice out and you can ride your bike, you might do that if you knew that you would save money. Um, also, transportation incentive programs and lots more. But the best thing about all these recommendations is that we don't need to get everybody to stop driving downtown. We don't need to get everybody to ride their bike or take transit. We only need to change the habits of about 10 to 15 percent, get those people to either shift to a different mode or park outside of the core, and that would get the parking occupancy to our desired level of 85 percent. So this is one of the maps that we made. We tried to simplify the map, um, this is intended for shoppers and visitors. They don't need to know about the rainbow of different permit options because they can't park there. So we just took those off the map and we showed them where they can park. And we included areas where you can park for free for two hours or for a more extended amount of time. 
we created a map of all the free parking in downtown Hinsdale for people who really want free parking. We say, okay, well, we have it. And this is when and where you can find free parking, whether it's all the time or just after 5 p.m. on the weekends or just on Sunday. And then we made an employee parking map. And this map might be able to see it, but we included the walking distance estimate of five-minute walk and a 10-minute walk. So the streets that are a little bit yellow are a five-minute walk from that star in the center of the map, and then the green with the slashes is a 10-minute walk. And we include, this time we included the free employee parking area, which is not on the original map. Um, so we thought that might be helpful for the employees. Um, we did have one, we had a positive early article saying parking meters are a good thing with a local business owner explaining how the downtown would be worse off if they didn't have the parking meters. And at this point, we're still stuck in the politics of moving things through the village board. We have most trustees who, who get it, who understand how parking works. We have a couple that are hesitant um, due to the controversial nature of parking and wanting to be careful about coming out saying anything about parking because people hold it so dearly. Um, so we hope to be giving them some presentations in the coming near future and convince them of the paper's merits. So as I said, we also worked in Wicker Park, Bucktown with the Chamber of Commerce, which is a very different neighborhood from Hinsdale. They have a master plan that we were building off of that what advocates for activating the sidewalks, getting people to drive less, bike more, use public transit. Um, so def definitely a different mentality. Remember that mall with over half of the land area for parking? This is the Wicker Park area, not including Bucktown. Um, and here there's only about 2.5% of the land in this circle is surface parking. So I thought for sure that we would have more parking problems in Wicker Park than in Hinsdale. But then again, more than 20% of the people that live in Wicker Park, Bucktown, of the households, are car-free. And about 45% are what I like to call car light, where households of two or more do not have, or they only have one car, and households of just one person do not have a car. So there's a lot of people that aren't driving, so that helps. So we went out and we counted cars from Ashland to Western, and the residential streets in between, with lunch breaks at Big Star for tacos, and nighttime analysis from the sidewalk bars. Um, and of the 11,650 parking spaces we counted, we were a little bit surprised to realize that nearly three-fourths of the parking is free, unrestricted parking. 15% is permit. 9% is metered, 2% is loading, and 1% is standing. Uh, the permit parking is concentrated in the lower corner of the map, and that does cause some parking problems. Uh, this map shows the average parking occupancy. So we collected data at several different times, and then we, we saw more of a pattern when we averaged it all together. Um, so the I changed the colors on you here. The purple is 0 to 60% occupied. The blue is 60 to 80. Yellow is 80 to 90. And red is over 90% occupied. 
Um, but now if you look at just the free parking spaces, oh yeah, and the gray areas underneath the streets are what we call activity centers. So this is clusters of businesses with a one-eighth of a mile walk shed around those clusters. So you can see that the occupancy for the free spaces is definitely clustered around those activity centers. That's where the red lines are. Um, and what I thought was really interesting was that the spaces in the heart of the activity center that were metered have very low occupancy. And this includes times when the meters were not in effect, and so the parking spaces were totally full. And it's just the average. We also did turnover surveys on Milwaukee between division between Ashland and Damon, and then we did another survey turnover survey on Division Street between Ashland and Damon. This map on Milwaukee was really helpful to illustrate the problem with our loading zones. We have a number of employees or business owners who, since they pay for the loading zone, they figure they can park there. And they leave their cars parked for extended periods of time. And this creates a lot of problems when trucks that actually do need to load come and can't find a space to load. Um, Division Street was particularly interesting because half of the area we studied is free and half of the area is metered. And so this really helped to show how important the meters are for turnover because none of the cars in the metered spaces stayed longer for th than three hours, whereas most of the cars in the free spaces were there for more than three hours. And 17 of them were in their parking space for the entire seven hours we studied who knows, they could have been there for a couple of days. But it's definitely hurting businesses when there's not turnover and when their customers can't find a space in front of their business. So like Hinsdale, we came up with a number of goals for Wicker Park Bucktown. And the first one was to balance parking supply and demand with pricing, paying particular attention to when and where Wicker Park Bucktown is most congested. This map is showing occupancy, uh, I think, after the meters are not in effect. Um, so really, this would entail, or ideally, lowering meter rates in some areas and extending the enforcement hours on the weekends to midnight. Also wanted to improve the utilization of loading zones and valet parking through education and enforcement. So this involves getting Chicago police to actually enforce what we saw in every parking survey was personal vehicles parked in loading zones. And I also think that maybe some people don't understand the laws, that you can't park your personal vehicle in a loading zone unless you have a non-commercial vehicle loading license or permit, or you're a truck. Um, so we also talk about education in that aspect. Um, and we can use technology better to inform people about parking and. There are a lot of apps available. We can promote those. And just basic signage. This picture shows a parking area that's parallel to Milwaukee Avenue in a section that's almost always full. And this is metered parking, and it's almost always empty because people don't even know it's there. I always tell my friends visiting, park your car by the tracks. Um, and. We're looking at changes to the residential permit system to prevent an oversaturation of residential permits, which turns them into 
hunting licenses. So you're basically given permission to look for a parking space, but you're not guaranteed a space. So we want to prevent that from happening. And also looking at shared parking arrangements to better utilize the existing parking supply, uh, particularly with institutional uses in the study area. But there are even commercial lots. And right now, we have the parent problem of the city of Chicago not allowing the owner of the dual parking lot to lease out spaces during hours when they don't have the demand there. So we're working on getting that through. Um, and also improving safety of bicycling and walking and to continue to promote active transportation. Because if you can provide people with better ways to get around, you can sometimes tempt them out of their cars. Um, same with public transit. Make improvements to the safety and quality of public transit that would increase it as an um, alternative, or the attractiveness as an alternative to driving. And finally, to investigate the feasibility of a taxi stand near Milwaukee-Damon North intersection. So the question that came up the most <laughs> was, with the parking meter deal, are we stuck with 75 years of poorly managed parking? And the answer is no. The concession agreement allows the city of Chicago to do a lot more than what most people are aware of we have the ability to do variable pricing. We have the ability to change the hours of enforcement. And we can add new meters in congested area, and the city gets to keep 85% of the revenue from those new meters. 15% uh, is taken out for the pay boxes that would be maintained by CPM. Um, so it is possible. The, the hurdle is that Chicago Parking Meters has an idea of expected revenue by block for how much money they would make um, in, from, each, from each block, how much money they would make. And if you make changes to the hours or the price, then you have to guarantee that they will still make the same amount. So basically, it's going to take a little bit of math and risk but we are recommending a pilot program for Wicker Park Bucktown, and we think we could lower rates, extend the hours on the weekends, and with those hours extended on the weekends, we could estimate exactly how much we could lower the rates to be able to um, make up that amount that Chicago parking meters should get. So basically, we just need to convince the aldermen to pass an ordinance. That's, that's easy, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> It's not. So we need to get aldermen on our side and get them excited about trying something new and doing a pilot project because I really think it would be a win-win situation for everyone. It would be good for businesses who would see more turnover. Um, the drivers would like the lower rates. They wouldn't like the extended hours, but they would like the improved availability. If you're ever trying to find a parking spot on a Friday night in Wicker Park, it's just craziness, and I think people would like to be able to pay a little to be able to find a parking spot. Um, and I think that Chicago parking meters would make more money from better utilization of their underutilized spaces. Not that anyone in the city cares if they make more money, but it's a way to convince them to do this. Um, and also it would reduce traffic congestion on the times when it is totally full. So if I had to boil down 
the lessons learned from what we've done so far say that counting parked cars takes a really long time. Um, it's great if you have volunteers who will help you, but they're very hard to come by. We tried all sorts of different ways of collecting data. We, when it was raining, we would drive in a car with two people in the back counting while I drove. And then we also did bikes with cameras on them, but that was too much work because then you have to review the video and count it from again. It ends up just walking the streets is the best way to do it. <coughs> Um, at least what we found. I'll get a face back there saying no. <laughs> but, um, and then also, everybody already knows how to solve the parking problem, so they will tell you. And you have to keep in mind that you will not be able to please everyone. And in the end, it seems as though everywhere you are, it, it all comes down to politics. Parking is such a contentious issue. And it really helps to find out what you could offer to the various stakeholders to please them before you get to making your recommendations so that they're not the ones protesting in the end. So, um, I have a quote up here from the author of Sustainable Transportation Planning, Jeff Tumlin, that says, it's time to get smart about parking, or at least less stupid. Um, so I leave you with that and got my contact information there. Let's have a round of applause for Lindsay. And we do have plenty of time for Q&A, so if you could just put your hands up, uh, I'll make sure to come to you with the microphone so that we can record your question for the podcast. Uh, could you please put the map, map back up that shows the parking usage for Wicker Park? And you had the red lines, and it seemed like there's, go back, um, in one Right there, one of those. So, what time of the day is this? This is the average between all the different times of day that we collected. We did, um, let's see, it was, I think it was 10 a.m. One, and we didn't count all the streets at every time. Some of them we just did the commercial streets. So, 10 a.m. was just commercial streets. 1 p.m. was all the streets. 6 p.m. was all the streets, and 9 p.m. was just the commercial streets. And then we did um, on Sundays at 1 p.m. also. So we just averaged all of the times, and this is what we got. And then I think you had a map before this that showed where there's free parking and then where the meters are. Oh. That yeah, yeah that, that's the one. So all the greenish color is not even neighborhood permit parking? Correct. So in your suggestion to in introduce meters at low cost in those areas, how do you account for all the households that do own a car because most of those properties do not have parking on site? We're not recommending in the residential streets to put in meters. We would probably be looking more at the commercial streets like Division. There's a lot of Division Street that is not metered, but we did not locationally say where new meters should go. That's just further in the future if the commercial areas would like to address parking congestion, that that's where they should look. Uh, over the summer last tw 2013. How do you, how do you, do, um, how do you make that happen, uh, to put meters on where there are none? That would be, they're called reserve parking meters, and I believe the Aldermen have to pass an ordinance to add meters. 
Have you talked to the alderman no. about that? Uh, I'd like to correct one thing that you said. And it was when you, you first said that this was done for the Chamber of Commerce. Okay. It was done for the special, special service area, okay. 33, which is different than the Chamber. I thought they were the same thing. Oh, my gosh. So this was done for the special services area of Wicker Park Bucktown, number 33. Yeah, what role does uh, making it more expensive to drive an automobile play in solving the whole parking problem? Uh, and do you think that's feasible in our lifetime, things such as raising city sticker prices, raising license plate pr prices, and increasing the gas tax way up? Well, we did have some comments on our public survey that uh, sort of clued me into what you're getting at. And one of the comments was, you really need to do something about this parking. It's gotten so expensive that I sold my car and I no longer drive. <laughs> and so I thought, well, okay, we're, we're doing something right here. But, um, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a matter of all the different fees that drivers pay up front, it seems more like when the cost of driving hits you every time you use it, and that's where parking comes in, that's where you think about it the most. Because once you've already paid all those fees, you're just gonna drive. Um, but I, do, I am interested in the cost of the permit price, or maybe it would be the registration fee being more for longer cars, because they take up more parking area. So, I guess, and I haven't looked at the report too much, but first of all, thank you. This was an excellent presentation. Uh, so there are s several municipalities around the states, right, that are using that variable um, metered strategy. San Francisco has a few, right? Um, is that something that, um, like, just even in the last three years, have you have you noticed um, kind of that conversation changing more based on that data coming out more and more? Like, I feel like I'm fairly new to the conversation around parking. I just wanted to know if you could weigh in on the data that is out there currently in some of these um, different cities, how much that's kind of perking people's interest and where, where you see the conversation going now. Um, I, I think that definitely having that data, the it was a federal pilot program in San Francisco where they spent a lot of money investing in a system that sort of had all the bells and whistles that you could possibly have in a parking uh, project. And I'd say, yes, it's influencing the conversation. I know that the city of Chicago has been in talks with Streetline, who does the little pucks that you put in the ground to monitor whether or not a car is parked there. Um, and so I think there's some talk of we could do this better, so I would say yes. Um, I, I have a general observation that, that I've had from working in some suburban communities, and I'd like you to respond to it. Um, one in particular, the downtown merchants, of course, said they needed more parking. And um, what we found was that they all felt a need to park on the street immediately in front of their shop, even though there was parking behind their shop, but they wanted to be able to see it. 
Um, but taking it a step further, they wouldn't park in front of their retail establishment. They would park in front of their neighbor's retail establishment. And, you know, these weren't competing like two bakeries or two dry cleaners or anything like that. Have you run into that kind of situation in some of these downtown areas? Definitely. Okay. Um, and the different business owners can point to the different people. Like the bank owner would say, I see the salon ladies walking from my bank parking every day. Um, and I know that some communities have invested in the license plate recognition software or technology. So they mount on the top of a van and they drive around the streets. And then they can get the license plate. And even if the car is moved every two hours, if it's still within the district, they can give them a ticket for leaving their car parked there and not paying for the permit price. But it's definitely an issue, even in Wicker Park. Oh, and to answer the woman's question before, another thought that uh, Xerox is really interested in parking technology. And I've heard that they're looking at donating some of their technology to a ward in the city to do sort of an occupancy study. So, another thought. Oh, wait, hold on. We'll get you after. Need the mic. <laughs> For the um, I had just a question about you. You mentioned that Hinsdale wanted to reduce their demand by 10 to 15% by some of the things you were implementing, their parking demand? Well, that was my what I said they should do. That's what you said, okay. So that's pretty, that's a huge jump. Um, did you kind of run the numbers to see how that's attainable with 10 that, to achieve that? Well, it's really to just get on the streets where it's at 100% occupied to get it down to 85 or 90% occupied. Um, and there are streets just two blocks out that have 0 to 60% occupied. So there's plenty of room if we can get a lot of these employees to park in the employee permit area. Or maybe we need to move some employee parking so that it is on the east side because right now their east side of downtown doesn't have much employee parking. So. For the people whose business is on the east side, they don't want to have to walk all the way across town. But if we had some more employee permit spaces on that side, they would be more likely to move out of the core. So it's really just spreading things around the downtown. Okay. So it sounded like we had a question up here just about the, the technology that Xerox might be using. Was that the, the gym? You referred to the Xerox technology. Uh, how does that work? Does it look at license plates? or? No, I think this would also be putting something in the ground that detects when a car is parked in a space, and that can be connected to the parking It went off? Oh, no. Uh, that would tell them whether or not people have paid for parking so that you can sync that with your enforcement officers so they can make the rounds and give tickets quickly and efficiently and people will quickly learn not to park in the middle. So what's in it for Xerox? That would be a first question I can guess but what is it what is it they're getting out of it number one and then number two is uh, my, we have um, bought two ALPR cameras, mounted it on our car, and um, we were able to use that for doing occupancy counts. And where is this? 
This is in Phoenix. Oh, great. Yep. We have done the project in uh, in California, but uh, we set up the system in Phoenix. That would make it much easier than walking on the streets and counting all the parked cars. So maybe I need to invest in that. Um, but as far as what's in it for Xerox, I think they sort of want to get their foot in the door on the parking uh, occupancy technology. So right now, Streetline really has the market covered in that. They were, I, I believe, Streetline was used for the San Francisco project. So their name is out there, and I think Xerox wants to get on, in on that. So they're going to donate technology as a pilot, and I think when people realize it is really useful, that other people will want to put it in their area. Uh, there was the big uh, change in the uh, Chicago parking arrangement a few months ago, and uh, one of the uh, big controversies of it was the swap for later uh, weekday, Saturday uh, enforcement as a trade for free Sundays. And uh, I know that there were several commercial areas that were really upset about that, and it's taken months, but apparently the mayor has fairly recently turned around and said, all right, all right, if you want uh, enforcement on Sundays, we can do that. Uh, so it was Wicker Park, uh, one of the uh, Milwaukee Avenue, uh, one of the places that was uh, in, in that situation? Uh, yes, and I know at least Alderman Wagespeck, maybe other aldermen, have been some of the first to say as soon as they heard about free Sunday parking, they went and said, we do not want free Sunday parking, and the business owner said, we don't want it. So he had applied to get it free a long time ago, and the mayor sort of ignored him for a while and finally came through and said, okay, fine, you, you can charge for parking on Sunday. So does... Um uh, d does your analysis uh, confirm that the uh, the, the aldermen and the, uh, the the merchants were correct in their assessment? And uh, have there been uh, real problems uh, with people just parking all day on on Sundays? We didn't do a count after the change to free parking on Sunday went into effect. I've seen in my own neighborhood. There's definitely a wake up early on Sunday morning and see cars parked on Chicago Avenue, which I wouldn't have seen before. Um, maybe John knows, but uh, I think that our turnover survey does show that when you have free parking, you're not going to get as much turnover. So. Could you comment maybe a little bit on um, any sort of feedback you got uh, while you're in the process of doing the study, maybe talking to local residents or um, maybe a set of recommendations that you had brought in uh, based on best practices from other places uh, about maybe rationalizing the permit schemes. Um, they seem to be, in full disclosure, I'm a resident of the study of the Wicker Park Bucktown study area, and um, just based on casual observation, the permit schemes don't seem to be tremendously intuitive uh, when you're walking around, and I'm wondering if that was a sticking point for residents 
And if that seemed to be a major thing to you, or if it seemed to be a very marginal thing, meaning that it wouldn't have, uh, making changes to the permit schemes would not have that great of an impact on perceptions of parking problems. Well, to answer the second question about permits, I think that uh, particular issue would be very complicated because right now it all goes through uh, the city clerk's office. And there are some aldermen's offices where you can buy permits. I think it's like four out of 50. And the rest you have to purchase through the city clerk. And I don't think they have any idea how many parking spaces there are as to compared to how many permits they're giving out. And then people can buy the day passes, which would increase the number of permits that could be on the street. So the challenge there would be a lot of data organization at the city level. Um, so that one is, say, further out of reach than other issues. Um, it's As a residential sticking point, we had some people that didn't want permit parking on their street because they didn't want to have to pay for it. Uh, we had others that have free street and they want permit because there are too many people that park there and take the L downtown. So you get a lot of different opinions and I'm sure if it is permit and we said raise the rates, people would be upset. One thought was that for each household you have the regular rate and then if you want a second parking permit, that one costs a lot more. And I've heard of other communities where they call it the new resident parking permit fee, where if you've lived there for five years, you pay the normal rate. If you just move there, you pay twice as much. And that, that usually goes over well with people that live there. So, um, And then you had a question about how our recommendations for talking to the public. You know, no, it was, it was still on this same point of, I, I did not know if your recommendations uh, touched on um, reform in the residential permit parking or if you deemed that to be either uh, politically a non-starter so you didn't go there or that it was just so marginal that the, the difference that it would make would be so marginal that you didn't feel that that's where uh, the, anyone should be really investing their energy. We did list it as one of our eight recommendations. So it's, it's definitely an issue to keep our eyes on, but as, I mean, the permit parking is only 15% of the parking in the study area, and the problem that we've seen is with it all concentrated in one area, it's either metered or permit, the people who are parking all day, like the employees that come in, are all on two streets, so those get full all the time, so having the concentrations of permit is a problem, and sometimes it depends on the ward, because North of Milwaukee is one ward, and south of Milwaukee is another ward. So it gets complicated. Uh, at the, uh, in the intro slides, you, uh, you talked about one of the big issues uh, is uh, uh, parking minimums and uh, zoning. Uh, and, but your study didn't uh, address that. Uh, do you know if there's been... Uh, and I know, you know, there's uh, research about uh, Portland uh, limiting uh, parking minimums in various other places. Do you know if there's any uh, experience or research or uh, whatever in the Chicago area uh, with eliminating uh, parking minimums? I guess the, the city of Chicago has uh, recently uh, implemented uh, TOD zoning that's eliminated. Is there any... Uh, you have any yes. comments on that stuff? 
There are a number of suburban downtowns that have no parking requirements. Um, Elmhurst is one, and that is why they have their great building facade in the downtown. Uh, downtown Plainfield has no parking minimums in their downtown. Hinsdale doesn't. I'm sure there are a few others. Naperville? Okay. Um, and the for Chicago, I think it was partially from a study done by the Center for Neighborhood Technology that looked at TODs at, and the work of the Wicker Park Bucktown Chamber that really said we need to reduce parking requirements for our area for new developments. Um, we, in the paper for Wicker Park, I do bring out the criticisms that have come out of the reductions that the city has implemented. They say they can reduce parking within 600 feet of a train station. But 600 feet is not very far. And a lot of TOD studies look at um, up to a half mile around a train station. And that would almost cover the entire Wicker Park Bucktown study area. And, uh, and also, I think they still they don't have eliminated parking requirements for residential. It's just lowered. I think it's 50% required parking within the TOD of 600 feet. Um, and I don't think that that, I, I think there should be options for people that don't have a car. To, like when I went to look for a house or a condo and I, I don't have a car, I can only buy either an old condo or I can't buy new construction because it will have parking, which means I'm paying for parking even though I'm not using it. So I didn't want to waste my money on that, so I end up with an older one. Um, but I think there should be more options. I think we need to include housing that doesn't have parking, which they have done in Wicker Park. But that was a, lot, a big struggle to get through an approval process of sort of an exception to the rule. I know John wants to comment on that. Uh, disclosure, I also reside in Wicker Park. Um, the building at Division Ashland in Milwaukee, 11-story building, has no parking in the, for the residents there. There's another one on Milwaukee Avenue that has been proposed, a seven-story building, also to fall within that TOD ordinance. So while 600 feet is restrictive, it is having an effect. It is... Uh, and there's another uh, property near western Milwaukee in Armitage that uh, it's a smaller one, but it also is going to qualify under the TOD ordinance. So I think that ordinance is having an effect, a significant effect. I, if you add up all of those units, those three buildings that I know of, it's probably um, in the neighborhood of um, uh, three or 400 units in those three buildings. It's not, that's not small peanuts. Is there a question in the back? I thought I saw a hand. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering um, two things. If you considered any uh, kind of off-site parking, um, kind of before you enter, I don't know, if you, before you pass like Ashland for maybe employees going to Wicker Park. And then the other thing, I don't know if there was any instances that you came upon where people were abusing the day um, permit. 
the um, neighborhood permits. I don't know if people are like buying those and like distributing them to their friends to come park in the area. Well, we don't have Wrigley Field near us, so right. we don't have the incentive to sell the permit passes. But um, we didn't notice abuse. We probably weren't out enough to really catch that. Um, but as for the question of parking lots further out, that was something that came up a few times in our steering committee meetings. And sort of the discussion came to there are a lot of these large commercial parking lots that are not full at hours when the parking is really tight. There is the Aldi parking lot, which is almost never even a quarter full, and that's on Milwaukee further north, and um, then the Jewel parking lot. But there's also a, a pay lot that allows people to buy monthly permits that we didn't know of until we started this study, and I've lived around there for a long time. I think most people don't know that there is that option, so we'd like to bring that to the attention of employees or business owners in the area. It's right at Ashland and Division, um, and there's plenty of availability there. And there's also, there are a few large parking lots that are starting to even do shared parking. The, I believe it is between south of Milwaukee, north of Division, and close to Ashland, there's a large parking lot uh, that is, they started working with the gym that opened up, so people who drive to the gym can park in that lot, so it's starting to get full. And when I l went to look at the apartment building that has no parking, they asked me, they said, do you have a car? And I said, no, but what would you say if I said yes? And they told me that they had spaces in that large lot that they could lease to me on a monthly basis. Uh, so for the core of your study area, did you, or was there any, ever any discussion about like uh, congestion charging, like London congestion charging? That's the first question. Or can you comment if that could come to downtown Chicago in the foreseeable future? Um, well, we definitely didn't talk about that for Wicker Park Bucktown. I think, I mean, most people are parking for free, and if we make them pay for anything more, it would be very upsetting to them. But there are, there were some, there was some talk at a workshop that was not part of this study, but it was called the Think Bike Workshop, that looked at limiting through traffic on Milwaukee Avenue. So you would just let buses through as, as one idea. And so then you would have to turn down other streets and reroute traffic, which would be complicated and have its own problems or challenges. Um, but making it so it's more of a pedestrianized street was one thing that came up. And as far as a congestion charge for downtown Chicago, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see that quite in the future. I, I think that we're more likely to see congestion pricing on our roadways um, at different times of day. I know that CMAP is definitely trying to promote this idea of the adding a lane that would be a uh, hot lane or, high, or t I don't know what they're, what they're called. Is it a hot? High occupancy toll lane? Yeah. I, I'm not even sure if they're talking about high occupancy, but just so you would pay a toll during rush hour to be able to bypass traffic. So. Right. That's the, the, that, the hot model is, is either you have multiple passengers in your car or you're willing to pay to, to, to use that lane. <laughs> I 
I like that idea. So since you're talking about uh, using, uh, or we were just talking about parking as a, a more of a, a demand control rather than looking at the demand of the parking itself, um, have you looked at other types of private parking supply in, in downtown Wicker Park? I mean, maybe not the residential areas, but in the commercial areas, perhaps office buildings where they have private spots that they lease out to tenants or something like that. Um, and if you did, or, or even if you didn't look at that supply of parking or how much, uh, what the percent of that is in terms of total parking, are there any levers out there that the, that the city can use on, on those types of uh, parking? Um, we did not look at the private lots too much beyond the really big ones that were in the study area. And would the city have leverage with them? I'm not so sure because the city requires them to put the parking in. And I've had developers, especially from the loop, that have seen my paper and called me and said, how can we get the city to lower this parking requirements because all of my garages are 45% full and it's so much money to build more parking and I don't want to do it. So hopefully we can get them to lower the requirements. Uh, yeah, actually just along those lines, I'd like to sh share one of my own stories. Uh, I, I used to be in charge of bus route planning at the CTA and I, I went to uh, when the uh, Northern Trust was building their back office space on Canal Street. Uh, I went to the, the manager and uh, offered uh, to provide uh, some uh, pretty good dedicated bus service uh, for that facility uh, since they were moving people, you know, our customers out of regular bus territory. Uh, I, I offered to uh, extend some rush hour trips there and originate trips right in front of there uh, afterwards. And but I uh, wanted them to provide some kind of you know uh, fare incentives or whatever. Uh, and at, uh, the, the, their response uh, kind of took me aback in the sense that uh, they really weren't interested at all in uh, keeping these people on transit because they were being forced to provide this huge amount of parking that they were going to be charging their employees for, uh, and they needed to sell those spaces. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> and there was a, a side comment earlier about the ha getting a special reserve parking spot near Big Star, and that exists. It's through Spot Hero. You can reserve your parking by time of day right under the L tracks around the corner and have your special spot. But I'm. I like the idea of special meters. Yeah, well, we'll let that be the final word. Let's have one more round of applause for Lindsay Bailey. On behalf of the American Planning Association, I want to thank Lindsay Bailey for a thought-provoking and informative program on parking management. Thanks also to the many APA staff members who help make this program possible every month. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. I'm David Morley.